with this one who is the author of our faith, this maker of the moon and all that we see. He has spoken to us. And so let's open his word and let's hear from him this morning. And so as we open up God's word to Ephesians today, Ephesians chapter 5, this time any elementary kids are welcome to gather out in the foyer for the beginning of our children's worship time. But we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We've been journeying through this portion of the Bible uh, over a number of weeks now. And so today we come to chapter 5, verse 15. And in our journey through this letter, through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we're learning what it means uh, to live for Christ. We're learning and hearing what it means to to live for Jesus. We're, We're learning what it means to be distinct and different from the world, not in a self-righteous, look-at-me, legalistic sort of way, but in an I've-been-changed-by-the-saving-grace-of-God kind of way. We've got a new master. We've got a new Lord. We've got a new leader. We've got a new family to which we belong, and a new person, according to the Scriptures, a new person living in us, God's Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer... If you've turned to Jesus for salvation, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are, according to the Bible, spirit-filled. Paul says as much, even in this letter, in chapter 1, verse 14, and then again in chapter 2, verse 22. But let me ask you this morning, have you ever been around someone who was spirit-filled? Have you ever been around someone that was filled with the Spirit? Well, if you've been around believers, of, of course you have, but... I remember as a child, I remember, uh, I think the first time that I was around some uh, believers from a a slightly different tradition that emphasized this to a a bit of a greater degree than than we do, right? I remember as a child visiting a church with with family and, and showing up and there were so many people shouting and singing. We've been exposed to that, but even more, there were people dancing up and down the aisles as an expression of their Devotion to Jesus Christ and uh, perhaps the Spirit's work in their in their lives. But have you been around believers who are Spirit-filled? You know, we Baptists are not particularly known for emphasizing the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's been said of us and other similar traditions in jest that we uh, worship the Trinity, the Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Bible. And certainly we're grateful for the Bible, right? We're grateful for the Word. We need the Word. This is how God has spoken to us. We are hungry for the Word. We ought to open the Word every time we gather, but not just when we gather. We ought to open the Word day by day, all the time, regularly as we walk with with Jesus. But we don't worship the Bible. Jesus said sending the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was a good thing, is a good thing, a necessary thing, because He's our advocate. He's our helper He's our comfort. That's how he's described. Jesus said that he will guide us into all the truth. Paul says that this spirit has now come and that he's come to us. So what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? What does it mean to be spirit filled? Let's hear what the scriptures have to say about this. Ephesians chapter 5, we're in verse 15. And so... If you are able, would you join me standing for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. The Bible reads this way. Paul writes, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pause with me for prayer? No, God, we pray that you would instruct us now, that your spirit would instruct us now through the proclamation of your word for the glory of your name and the hearts of your people. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. The God that we're worshiping this morning, the God that we've gathered in the name of today, this God calls us to center our lives on worshiping Him and serving one another. This God, the, the Almighty God, the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He calls us to center our lives, our entire lives, on worshiping Him and serving one another. You see, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 onwards, so for about a chapter now, Paul's been describing how Christians should live Contrasting our conduct as Jesus people from the, from that of the world. And as we come to this text, as we come to chapter 5 verse 15, Paul's not saying anything new really, but continuing to drive home the same message. Be very careful then how you live. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. Two ways of living, either as wise ones or unwise ones. And God's people are to be those who uh, live according to wisdom as wise ones. And the measure of wisdom, according to the Bible, is not IQ. Measure of wisdom isn't IQ, but rather the right posture toward the Almighty God. Right posture toward God Himself. Book of Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's where Paul would write, the Bible would state in Colossians chapter 2, that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, biblical wisdom is knowing God, the God who has made himself known to us through his written word and through his word made flesh. It is knowing God and striving to walk in his ways, striving to walk in God's ways. Of course, this is the whole point that Paul's been making in this broader section of this letter, this broader section of Ephesians on Christian living, live for Christ. That's what he's saying. Find out what pleases the Lord and live that way. Walk that way. Friend, who is God? Who is God? Be a little spontaneous for a moment this morning. Who is God? Somebody shout out just an attribute of, of God. He's holy, right? Who is God? Somebody say something. Creator. What else? Savior, Redeemer. Who is God? He's love. A couple more. Who's God? Father. What else? Light, sustainer. He's all of these things. We could go on and on and on. Who is he? I'm absolutely convinced that if we know the character of God, 
Right? If we know the love of God of which we've spoken and sung this morning, if we know who He is, then we'll want to live for Him. You see, those who know the Lord Jesus aim to live for Him. Those who know Him aim to live for Him. They want to know and live for Him. Those who know Him want to live for Him. I dare say, if you don't desire to live for the Lord Jesus, then you probably don't know Jesus or you've forgotten about His goodness and His grace. Because those who know the Lord Jesus want to live for Him. You see, this letter, Ephesians, is a clarion call for the bride of Jesus Christ to remember His marvelous love and to devote herself to Him, knowing full well, knowing full well and acknowledging that Satan and the world and even our own flesh Lure and lead us to forget his love and to go our own sinful, selfish, and me-centered ways. And so Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We're living in the last days. Did you know that? We're living in the last days. I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek in saying that because so were the first century Ephesians. That's how the Bible describes the time between the two comings of Christ. We're, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. At a time that we remember, particularly remember the, the first coming of Jesus, the coming of our Savior, but also anticipate His second coming, His soon return. The return of our King who will usher in His eternal kingdom fully and finally defeating the devil and judging evil. But until then, we're living in the last days. Evil days as we wait that wait for that day. So Paul exhorts us until then, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Sure, many of you are familiar with a popular book by John Piper with that title, Don't Waste Your Life. One of the things that many of us love and that has drawn many to this nation over the decades and centuries is the the opportunity to achieve the American dream, right? To chase after a good life, to apply ourselves to work hard in school and in life to accomplish great things, to achieve this. And yes, we should be people who work hard and apply ourselves and use the gifts and talents and resources that God has entrusted to us. So you can accomplish your dreams. Your dreams include spending your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Spending your life for the glory of the Savior. What what better posture for a student? Striving to spend your life for the glory of Jesus. What better posture for a professional? What better posture for a retiree? Spend your days, your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Temptation abounds. Time is ticking. Christ is returning for the redeemed. And if you've been redeemed by Jesus, then redeem the time he has left you here. That's how the text reads. Verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Literally by redeeming the time. As believers, we're to buy the time back from its present slavery to evil. I don't there moments in your life that we you wish you could redeem. 
There are times in your life that you wish you could rewind things, you wish you could take back and, and do over. Of course there are. For all of us, there are. In essence, Paul's saying, life is short. The days are evil. Don't waste your life. Live every day, moment by moment, for Jesus. Live for Christ. Ephesians parallels Colossians in many ways. Paul probably wrote it about the same time. And in Colossians, Paul writes, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so to make the most of every opportunity is to use our time to witness to the world, to to outsiders, in hopes that in us they might see the glory and the grace of Jesus, the one who saves, the one we Worship Those who know the Lord Jesus aim to live for Him, so don't waste your life. Rather, listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Listen to, to this one. We can't live for the Lord if we're not listening to the Lord. We're to find out what pleases the Lord, verse 10, and then verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I can remember as a high schooler and then on into to college wondering at times, what's, what's the Lord's will for my life? What am I to do? What is it I'm, a, I'm, I'm to apply myself to? What, what should I study? Where am I going to live? What, what is, where does God want me? Perhaps you've wondered the same thing at times. Many of us have at various points in our lives. We often associate the Lord's will with some hidden secret plan, Right? That we've got to discover, but God's already made His will known to us through His, His Word. Again, the Colossians counterpart is helpful here. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the message of Christ, or the Word of Christ, God's Word, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So to listen to the Lord is to be in His Word. It is to hear from Jesus. It is to open up the scriptures. It's to spend time with him, pouring your heart out to him and, and hearing what he has already said for you, to you. And so church, may we be a people who do that. May we be a people who open this book and consume God's word, who listen to the Lord, making every effort to read it and study it and pray it and meditate on it so that we might understand what the Lord's will is. James would say, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, when we, when we come before God in humility, desiring to know Him and to commune with Him, Desiring fellowship with Him, the Holy Spirit gladly guides us to that end. Gladly honors that posture and that prayer. Praise God, He doesn't leave it up to human strength or human ingenuity to discover His plans for us. No, He gladly guides us by His Spirit whom He's given to us. And those who know the Lord Jesus want the Spirit to lead them. Like, we we want this. 
We want to be led by God's Spirit to, to know Him, to enjoy Him, to live for Him. Don't you want to be led by God's Spirit? To be Spirit-filled is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Right upon reading this, that sort of feels like it comes out of left field. Right? What are you talking about? Getting drunk? What, what does wine have to do with this? It feels sudden, out of place. Until we recall that Paul has just warned us against immorality. And perhaps Paul's warning Ephesian believers in the first century to abstain from the common banquets of the day that often included excessive drinking and loose speech and sexual immorality. Excessive drinking affects the mind. Right, leading to a loss of control and poor judgment, but listening to the Spirit produces self-control. And the other fruit of the Spirit. New Testament scholar Frank Thielman writes, he says, just as the drunken person is full of and controlled by wine, so the believer should be full of and directed by the Spirit. Right? All believers are spirit-filled, and yet we're commanded, we're told here, we're instructed to be filled. Suggesting that we, we have a part to play in this as we welcome the Spirit's guidance, as we gladly and humbly submit to His will. So what does it look like to be spirit-filled? What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? Well, as Paul considers that as he imagines what that means, what it means to be spirit-filled and growing in Christ, he, he seems to picture the body of Christ gathered together in Christian community, not only to praise God, but also to instruct one another. Spirit-filled believers instruct one another as they joyfully praise God. That's what he says here in verse 19. Just Spirit-filled believers. Here's a mark. Here's an indication of, of being filled with the Spirit, of living in the realm of the Spirit. Spirit-filled believers instruct one another as they joyfully praise God. Joyfully singing songs of praise to God naturally flows from the hearts of those who've been rescued by God and filled with the God's Spirit. Spirit-filled believers instruct one another as they joyfully praise God. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. He says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I think Paul's leaving some room here for variety in singing. Singing from Israel's songbook. The Psalter, the book of Psalms, as well as other written hymns and perhaps even other spontaneous songs of praise to God. In other words, there's freedom in worship to include some variety and incorporate some flexibility for the glory of God and the edification of one another. We sing to God, but as we sing theologically sound songs of praise from our hearts, the very message of the hymn and the manner in which we sing them serves to instruct one another in the faith. 
That's an important word for us when perhaps we we gather and we go some time without singing our favorite song, right? Or maybe we're singing a new song that we're unfamiliar with and so it feels a bit forced and uncomfortable. A word for us, a reminder for us to consider the message, to gladly hear and sing and share the very truths of God's Word through song. Spirit-filled believers instruct one another as they joyfully praise God and... We see here that spirit-filled believers express thanks to God when they gather for worship. Express thanks to God when they gather for worship. Again, Paul pictures the worship gathering. We're to give thanks to God all the time. That's a message of the Word. Not just as we come together, we're to live lives of gratitude, of thanksgiving, to God all the time, every day, and specifically we're to include prayers of thanksgiving when we gather together for corporate worship. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, this, is, this is Paul's way of saying that thanksgiving should be our constant theme. Right, not just around the, the end of November when we have a holiday that reminds us to give thanks to God. Not, not even just on first Sundays when we come together and we, we have communion, remembering with gratitude the, the gift of God's grace expressed through the, the substitutionary dying of Jesus Christ. Certainly, especially in a particular way we do during those times, but all the time we're to come together with God's people and to sing praises to His name, to instruct one another and to give Thanks to Almighty God. So friend, are you are you gathering often with God's people to give thanks and to sing praises and to encourage one another in the faith? Are you? Are we? Or is Sunday worship simply become an option on your calendar if nothing else has already claimed? That day. I'm grateful, like many of you, that I grew up going to church, that I grew up in a home with a mom and dad who were believers. But I remember a season, more than a season, several years in my life, where some other things at times overshadowed participation in church, gatherings, and corporate worship. Many of you feel the strain and the pull of extracurricular activities. I remember for me it was it was playing tennis often, especially in the summer. I remember weekend after weekend after weekend of, of tournaments and traveling and going and playing and sort of as I was improving in that realm, in that sport, perhaps peaking in that way in a in a positive way, I remember thinking and having a conversation with mom and with my dad saying, you know what, I, I, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I'm missing out. And for me, it was missing out in some church activities and opportunities with friends. And, and I'll be honest, I don't know that there was anything particularly spiritual about that recognition at all. I'm not crediting myself for that. I think I wanted to be with my friends. But perhaps some of us need to feel that from the Holy Spirit. A longing, a missing out. We, we want to gather and to be with God's people. May we feel His pull and His learn, His desire to come together and to be faithful in that way to a point of feeling like we need to gather 
Because God has commanded us to gather for the glory of His name, but not just for the glory of His name, also for the good of one another. And so here's the deal, church. Like the impact of COVID is here to stay. It's not going away. It's here. And it's affected us, all of us, in many, many ways. A plethora of ways. One of which may be a more loosey-goosey commitment to gathering in person in Christian community with God's people for worship. And so may I simply say to you, church, may I plead with you, church, based on the clear teaching of God's holy word, to gather and participate in corporate worship. To gather, to come together with God's people, with brothers and sisters in Christ, the faith family, to gather and to participate in corporate worship. God calls us to center our lives on worshiping Him and serving one another. And a necessary piece of doing so is gathering and participating in corporate worship. author of Hebrews says it this way, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, if Christ has led you to this church, if He has led you to this church, brothers and sisters, you you need to be here as often as you are able, if you are able. I understand there there are certainly extenuating circumstances. Don't hear me. Ignoring that, that inhibit gathering for some. But I'm confident there are few things the devil loves more than seeing believers in Jesus Christ put fear and comfort and pleasures before Jesus and his bride. And if Jesus Christ has led you to another church, if he's led you elsewhere, then you need to be there as often as you're able if you are able. I'm not talking about every activity. Don't hear me saying that. I know there's a ton of things going on. Certain time. I'm not saying you've got to come to everything going on. I'm talking about gathering for worship. I'm talking about the regular rhythm of coming together to sing praises to God, to open His Word, to encourage one another, to share life together in Christian community. Friends, Spirit-filled believers come together often with God's people, with a community of faith. They come together to worship the Lord and to serve one another. Spirit-filled believers humbly serve one another. Now, we're not going to go... We're not going to camp out here long at all. We're just about done, I, I promise. We're not going to camp out long here because Paul's going to camp out here in the section that follows, unpacking what it means, right? What does it mean to serve one another in various relationships? In particular, he's thinking about household relationships because the church was gathering in that day, most likely, most often in houses. But for now, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. NIV and many of our English translations begin a new section here, a new sentence here, but this is part of the same sentence as the previous one. The previous verse is stating another result of the Spirit's work in us. One pastor said, the Spirit enables you to do what is not natural, namely, love and submit to people. See, God calls us to center our lives on worshiping Him 
and serving one another. Have you responded to that call? Have you centered your life on Jesus? Are you living for Him? Friends, there's no greater joy. There's absolutely no greater joy in all of the world than knowing Jesus and living for Him, coming to Him. Won't you come to Him today? Won't you trust in Him? Won't you center your life on the One who came to us to save us, Emmanuel, God with us, to rescue us? According to the Scripture, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Bride, the Bride of Christ, that is the church, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come! Come, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. See, this is a week. We're entering a week of giving gifts. The greatest gift has already been given. It's the gift of reconciliation with God. Through Jesus, His Son, who is our Savior. Have you received it? Friend, do you have peace with God through faith in Jesus? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. So let's yield to the Holy Spirit. Let's hear the Spirit's call. Let's respond with faith in Him. Let's hear the Spirit's witness. And let's put our faith in Jesus and certainly if your faith is not in Christ, hear the Spirit's call through the message of the gospel and put your faith in Jesus today and you could be saved today. But this is not just a call for unbelievers to trust in Christ, to be forgiven. But that same gospel continues to call us, to continues, continues to call the church to live for Him. So whatever the Spirit is saying through the Word to you today, would you do it? Let's believe it. Let's receive it. Let's do it. Let's yield to the Spirit. And let's follow Jesus. Oh God, help us to do so. Lead us to do so. By the presence, by the power, by the guidance of your Holy Spirit, our help and comfort and guide. Father, would you lead us to know and to follow you. Father, we thank you once again. We pause together collectively and, and celebrate the, the gift of salvation in Jesus, of Emmanuel, of God with us, coming to us to rescue us, to save us, to live the life that we didn't and couldn't and wouldn't, to give his life as the substitute death and sacrifice in our place, the death that we should have deserved so that we could be right with you, so that you would remain just, perfectly just. And yet at the same time to justify sinners, to declare us righteous in right standing before you. Father, help us to trust and to follow after Jesus, yielding to your spirit, praising your name for your glory, for the church is good, and for the growth of your kingdom here. And Lord, it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.